Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and it turns out the bra was calling from inside the blouse. <laughs> Today... Today we're talking about Minute 113, which begins with Steve wondering where he is, really, and ends with Samuel L. Jackson making his appearance. I may be wondering where I am. That's right, J.J. is wondering. (laughs) Joining us today and Friday, we have Justin Yeager, a.k.a. J.J., from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. Hello. Hi, happy to be here. We are thrilled, thrilled to have you. Uh, So, what you don't know, J.J., (laughs) I think I don't know a lot. Yesterday, we uncovered an important bit of information. The reason, the real reason Steve knows that he is not in the right era. It's all because of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Andy? That's right. The S.H.I.E.L.D. agent's wearing the wrong hairdo, and she has the wrong kind of bra. The wrong hairdo? (laughs) And the wrong bra. It is not... (laughs) This baseball game, whatever. Baseball game, <laughs> baseball game. It's really the bra. He looks at her and realizes, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think he picks out the bra. Uh, no. And, uh, we're, you we're, don't think <laughs> that's what he looks at first? No. No, the hairdo, though. I mean, they do try to make her look period did, right? Yeah. They do try to dress her what they think might be different. Is did they Did they just mess it up? Terribly? Is that what you've Well, they, they mess it all up because the baseball game, as we find out, is the wrong year. And is, her, yeah. her hairdo is the wrong hairdo. And the bra is the wrong kind of bra. So everything that, that she did. Plus, he can't see it, but maybe he can because he have su- has super eyes. She's carrying a remote control. So there's a lot of things going on. It's the on. wrong remote control. It is the wrong does remote he ha- control. Does he have super eyes, though? Is that something? I mean, we assume that he has super everything, but I mean... He doesn't have like DC Superman super eyes. Well, he has... it's it's never really stated in the films. Um, apparently, at some point in the comics, there was some hint that there was enhancement of all of his senses. Um, hmm. I, I don't know how uh, how much they ever went down that road because, yeah, it would make him really seem just like Marvel's version of Superman. Yeah. Um, but that can't fly. But yeah. yeah, right, right. But I mean, it's I don't know. It's something that that we've been discussing. Like, I mean, you know, he's he's very intuitive. He seems to tap into things like uh, Hydra soldiers hiding in trees that no one can see, things like that. So what is it that's giving him these clues? Is it his sight? Is it his sense of smell? What's happening? So the super soldier serum gave him this amazing power called Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. But we, but in yesterday's minute, we were laughing because we looked on TVTropes.org, one of our favorite sites that lists all sorts of tropes, and they had something about this called the anachronistic clue when Steve wakes up here, and they talk about the baseball game, but then they also talk about these other elements that we didn't really tap into, but they pointed it out for us that she's wearing a haircut that didn't come into vogue before the mid two thousands, and this type of bra, the modern push up bra. um, is uh, would not be something that she would be seen in. So, and I guess my my feeling about it, and the thing that uh, the thing that I wanted to say about the baseball game is that they did try a number of things, right? I mean, they made they made an environment that looked somewhat like it. So, wouldn't they pay attention to those things too? Well, but, yeah, they made it this. They made this environment, but clearly they 
they were very sloppy because, I mean, if he got up and walked to the window, he would see that it's just a trans light. Like, it's over. Right, yeah. right outside. So it's like there's nothing about this that that speaks to reality. And so it's very funny. I, I don't know. My my I don't know. I guess I'm curious. What is uh, your sense uh, from both of you as to the plan the shield has here? For me, I think it was just a, a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. I mean, really, like they figured he was going to wake up, he was going to be freaked out. So they tried to soften the blow as quickly as possible. But then <laughs> to say that, like, that's a great thing. But then to have the remote control and bring in the, you know, the the black shirts to try and take him down doesn't <laughs> doesn't jibe with that. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it's I think it's just. It, something fun for the movie because it, it doesn't if it, if you spend any time thinking about it in terms of what it means story-wise or what the motivations were it kind of falls apart i've been thinking about it since we since we talked about the beginning of this minute yesterday which was that uh, it feels so misguidedly bureaucratic right? right like doesn't it feel like like not that like the right people weren't all involved in this conversation when they came up with this idea that there's 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 one person jimmy or i don't know maybe we'll call him nick wasn't there to <laughs> say that's really stupid we should do this differently and uh so i i think it's i think it's silly i i love the fact that they actually made the environment sepia which ends this minute that's and right. and that i think is one of the most interesting bits of filmmaking here that that steve wakes up in the present and it's still you know sepia from the rest of the movie and it is a hard, noticeable sort of cut when he throws the soldiers through the wall. I think that's an that is a nice touch visually for us, the audience, to drag us into the present. And uh, if that's the only reason they do this, yeah, maybe that's all in, all we need it to be. I think there's a lot to that and kind of the the creation of this facade. And and part of me thinks that, I mean, you mentioned uh, that uh, maybe smarter minds might have told them this is dumb, like somebody named Nick. But part of me thinks maybe it was somebody named Nick who said, you know what, let's just, uh, oh, he's starting to wake up. Why don't you just throw him in a room real quick? I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. I mean, he's really close, as we find out. And he just Steve just happens to wake a lot quicker than everybody's intending. And they were kind of hoping I mean, maybe Nick was hoping he would get here and would be able to be the guy who could walk in. And she just happened to be the the, uh, you know, the standby um, who was there because Nick didn't quite get there in time. And you guys keep call, call, calling him Nick. I just think it's awesome. Well, <laughs> Nick who was down. Nick, at the like, this was like a, a hypothetical, like. 45 <laughs> seconds ago, and now I'm like, oh, there's a character. That's there's right. There's a character right. named Nick. Oh, gosh. Nobody Unfortunately, calls, he's, nobody he, calls he, me he, Nicholas. Yeah, no, I know. He's also... He's also in charge of like fleet buying from Acura, so he can't be there fast. <laughs> That's the important part, right? Yeah. Um, the the I I think it's also interesting, Pete, that you say that uh, he get he throws the soldiers or the 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 shield agents through the wall because that is so. It's just another one of those implausible ways that it happens because they uniformly come out together in a clear explosion that is just <laughs> it's generally impossible to imagine what physical thing happens. Happened that caused that to start within the actual room. Yeah, like like what orientation the the room? I, my assumption is so the bed. When you look at it at mid, at second twenty three, um, you can see that the bed. So I guess he's throwing him out to his left from when he was in the room. Uh, so somehow he reached past her without sort of jostling her out of the way because she's 
calling for help, grabs the soldiers and chucks them sideways in complete perfect parallel. Or he uses his super breath. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> going back to the Superman thing. It, I mean, it's such a silly way for the, I mean, it's it's very comic booky for the two to pop out. But it would have helped probably if Steve had been visible through the hole in a move where he had like, you know, pushed them both out or something. But the fact that we don't even see him, it just ends up speaking to these guys are on a wire rig and just get thrown through the wall. And just got yanked yeah. and, and didn't know it. <laughs> they, were, they were as surprised as we are. Uh, Steve comes out holding his hands up saying, I didn't do it. I, I There is something to the idea, though, that we just, I mean, you say comic booky. It's comedy, right? It's a joke. It's a physical gag that uh, I, I think is, it, it works for me. It works for me because it does a number of things. I think the only thing that maybe could have been blocked a little bit better to not stop us thinking about it in minute to minute is just, maybe he just, pushes them right through the door through which they just came and and blow the wall out right it's the it's the physics of it that doesn't right. make sense or the simple choreography so, have one come yeah. out and then the second one get thrown out or something just to imagine the actual struggle that happened as opposed to this idea that you know something about him is a bomb that blows everyone yeah. up in a uniform fashion out of, <laughs> right. out of the wall but you know but those are just you know foibles if we would as we would say Here's the thing that I think you I would like you to weigh in on something that we got into yesterday about this whole idea that in the 40s, the SSR took up many city blocks of underground territory. And now apparently Shield's secret uh, secret base is now the first floor of what? A bank in downtown Manhattan. Kind of Does nice that hotel, strike you as odd at all? <laughs> it's a hotel. They just rented a hotel. <laughs> Maybe they also have the place in Brooklyn still. Right. They're expanding. Maybe they do. They're expanding. They're doing Actually, of that is now an Airbnb. <laughs> Very popular exotic guest. Bought by a corporation. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I think the interesting thing is that of, of the location or the geography of it, I think for me, the kind of neat thing about that scene, and I hadn't thought about this until I rewatched it just for this recording, was that it actually harkens back to when he busts out early on and he has the chase for the Hydra person. And I never thought about that, but it really, that that contrast of the New York City streets, obviously they're in two completely different geographic locations, but it but it gives you that essence. It's kind of like a nice bookend in the movie of seeing New York before New York now and and really kind of places him as that man out of time, which I think I actually liked that. So, you know, again, the logic aside, I, I, I like what they did for that in terms of telling the story. Yeah. Is there any part of you that would like to have seen it actually be Brooklyn, like be the actual same place and he comes out and there's the Brooklyn Bridge in the background, but the whole area is different? Or do you like the fact that he comes out and ends up kind of in the Broadway district? Well, I understand why they put it in the Broadway district. I think, I think, I think it would have been more fun if it was Brooklyn. I think it would have been, you know, but I think for the, for Joe Public, I think that this is more like slamming, right? This is the kind of thing where it's, uh, here's the blockbuster. We'll show you the, the huge contrast. So yeah, right, I understand right, right. why they did it this way, but I agree with you. I think, um, or, I, or I would say yes to that. I, I think it would have been really neat if they would have shown, you know, current Brooklyn as opposed to current Times Square. You know, one of the things that, that we got into a little bit when we were first introduced to this minute is that the idea that, in fact, it is full of so much color, like this transition yeah. is full of so much color. And that, as a, 
as a part of the transformation from from, you know, Sepiaville 1940s is important. I I think Brooklyn, the problem with Brooklyn is even today, it still looks exactly like like it still has the ca- same color wash that it did even when you're standing there. <laughs> it's historic. It did. It's historic. And, uh, and, and maybe this is, I mean, this demonstrates modernity, uh, you know, better than than maybe other places right well certainly just the flashing lights and everything i mean it just yeah. it feels i mean really like the the thing that's interesting that i was feeling as i was watching this is it feels like somebody's stepping into like the future like it really does feel like wow i just i'm on a different planet like this is completely unlike anything i've ever seen before so i yeah i mean it's it, it's an interesting step now his reaction is pretty weird <laughs> Because at some point he just stops, right? Like, I, I understand his need to get away, but why does he stop? Shock? I guess. Yeah, I guess I. That's that's where I would go with it. I mean, he starts running. I mean, there's an there's an element of it feeling, especially where he comes out. Like, it's just buildings. It's tall buildings. There are a lot of people, and it's not quite as busy as where he ends up. Maybe if he ran the other direction and didn't end up where he does, maybe he would have kept going. But the fact that he kind of turns that corner and and comes into this this place that is just littered with uh, you know giant uh, you know wall of advertisements and technology and yeah all this color and everything i i think that that's literally what stops him i think it's just it is kind of this overwhelm like uh, a sense that i don't know where i am and i i don't know i i had this this feel for him like it's just like i wouldn't even know do i go left do i go right does it matter right. like i'm i'm yeah yeah and that's fair yeah Eddie's so, soldier. so i kind of like that i like that he stops yeah Right. Yeah. <laughs> now I want to jump. Says Nick. Says Nick. <laughs> Little Nicky. I want to jump back real quick because I, I have a different question that I want to just kind of pose as a as a hypothetical with our SS. Uh, well, our our shield agent. When Steve asks her, "Where am I really?" Uh, you know, and he he gives her the clue that you know this baseball game. I was at it. It happened a few years before. If she had been a better performer and had just and, and had kept her smile, her smile fades like she doesn't know how to respond to him. She kind of falls. But if she had known how to respond and she said, oh, we just we wanted to just play an old game for you, something that um, that, you know, made you feel at home, something like that, play an old recording. Do you think that he would have bought into it or do you think that there's enough that like are there other elements i guess is my question that steve is is tuning into that might feel different i mean we've talked about the broad and the hair maybe those ones really would throw him but i don't know i agree that the any sort of other bedside manner would probably have worked (laughs) because as soon as the agents make entry into the the door that character is gone forever so there there is there is many different options that could have been there again this is it's it's all in service to the 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 story or the sequence that they wanted to tell but there's clearly many different ways that a kind person of course relating to steve rogers could appeal to that he would totally just take in and have a conversation with her if she tried to have a conversation with him. So I do think that it speaks to the time frame. Just uh, real quick to give us a sense. Um, he was found. Uh, we talked about this way in the very beginning of this show on October 5th, 2011. That's when uh, Steve Rogers was discovered in the ice and retrieved. And then on the uh, interestingly, on the 6th 
of the month. This is when uh, Shield is still studying uh, Ivan Vanko's Whiplash technology, uh, Samuel Stern's mutation, and Jane Foster's Nine Realms theory. So again, tying everything together. And then, so that was the fifth and the sixth. And then on the seventh, his body is thawed out and he's taken to New York. Phil Coulson watches as he's thawed and he wakes up on the eighth. So it has really, according to their crazy timeline, it really has only been a few days since he was pulled out of the ice. So I do have a sense that, uh, especially if Nick Fury wasn't around, I'm not sure where he was, but if he was trying to get here, I I can get a sense that, you know, okay, I can actually buy into they were kind of harried. They were trying to put something together uh, per Nick Fury to make him kind of feel at ease and and comfortable when he woke up and Nick was trying to get there. So I can kind of buy into it. You know, like I can piece these together and say, okay, I, these people are trying to come up with something. It's just, they didn't have a lot of time and uh, Steve woke up quicker than they expected. And so all that makes sense to me. And I like that. I like that the timeline elements get put in there. I think it, it, it gives a little bit more weight to the sort of a frenzy, I guess that's there. Uh, the, the thing that always confuses me about it is that you know of all the people captain america is not someone to feel that is dangerous like captain america is the person that you can appeal to and that has the goodness in in him um but maybe they didn't know that maybe they just were afraid of anything that was other at that point and they just wanted to protect something or or worried about like context shock like worried about him like losing himself just because he's been asleep for so long makes sense but then why send, send shoulders the, the interesting thing is as we're having this conversation the story the, the movie that i'm thinking about is contact and and the scene oh, where yeah. the aliens appear to jodie foster as her father and and like and 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 she keeps asking the there's all this why and it's like we just wanted to show you something that you were comfortable with so i just think uh nick needed to you know maybe tap into his scroll buddies a little bit to to really sort of get a sense of what would be more <laughs> acceptable <laughs> for steve in this moment right, yeah wouldn't right. it have been interesting if bucky had come in the room bucky or peggy or you know anybody <laughs> throw them out there he would have gone into cardiac arrest. I don't know. <laughs> Bucky have a super embolism. Right. <laughs> Bucky is alive. I could yeah. not. I could. I'm. Tra- I was trying to to trace his his uh, route through Midtown, uh, <laughs> and I can't figure out which building he comes out of. I mean, obviously, we know where he lands, like where he ends, but I I couldn't figure out the. Do you have it? Of course, because uh, good old Jay Shepard put it all together over on um, the MCU timeline. And yes, the S.H.I.E.L.D. facility is uh, 1585 Broadway. That's the building that is serving as the S.H.I.E.L.D. facility. Uh, He runs out of the front doors there and then runs up to... um, Forty uh, seventh, I think, in turns, and so he's he ends up around forty sixth and Broadway, which is where he stops. So, is it uh, at all uh, a thing of note that that address, the Shield New York Remote Headquarters, is the Morgan Stanley Building? <laughs> <laughs> I I think we should at least note that. Consider it noted. Sure, <laughs> uh, it is noted. Thank you for the record. That's funny. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you you brought up Acura, uh, Pete. So all these Shield Acura vehicles pull up. There is, you know, there's an extended scene that takes place across this minute, the bulk of which is in minute 114. But it's worth just talking about briefly because the setup here, you know, we, we kind of see these vehicles arrive. 
And then suddenly we hear a voice and we cut and lo and behold, it's Nick Fury uh, standing in front of Steve. There's a little more time spent on the cars arriving and, and, and kind of Nick walking up and stuff. Do you do you feel we needed any of that or do you feel like, you know, this is actually handled pretty well and efficiently? Yeah, I don't think we needed any of that. I think that's all filler. And especially when when in the world of cutscenes, in the world of Marvel cutscenes, that we don't need any more time. The the quicker we get to the the punch, I think is 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 the more effective that these cutscenes really uh really get to us in the Marvel world. Yeah, totally agree. Yep, yep, me too. Get get to the business. Yep. Um and of course it is Acura because that is the company that has the deal with uh, with Marvel, uh, Tony's always driving Acuras. They are just always going to be Acuras. Andy, what's your understanding of of those contracts and screen time? I don't like, know. Is there, I don't know if it relates is, to is screen there some time. Sort of a yeah, some sort of stipulation. Probably more exclusivity than anything else, really. Yeah, it's more exclusivity, and it's more when you show it, make sure you're showing the logo on the front, sort of thing. Um, that's uh, you know sometimes one of those things that they do want to make sure that you see, and you do see it. Like when those cars pull up right behind Steve, yeah, you can make out that there are those two Acura SUVs that pull up literally right behind him. And then when we cut to Nick, we have some more behind him that are even closer and with their um, their Acura logo nice and prominent. So I, that's generally the sort of thing that they do want to see in those things. Um, but it, again, it's also these contracts uh, have so many modifications and changes. I don't know. I mean, it could be a number, like how many vehicles are we going to show, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and, and this film, I mean, this is really the only opportunity to show the Acura vehicles um, in it because before, I mean, it was all the period stuff and it was all army jeeps and and uh, period vehicles. So very true. But get ready, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> There's so much more to come. Oh wow, that's right, that's right. I think the Iron Man Mark III is actually an Acura. I think. <laughs> <laughs> It would be fitting. It would be fitting for right. sure. Just, it, it has the logo yes. <laughs> on, yeah, right. on the chess piece. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then I think that's it. Unless either of you have any other points that you want to bring up about this particular minute. I just want Pete to start calling his son Sergeant Fury. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure his son would love that. Yeah. I literally thought that's why you picked the name Nick. I was like, oh, it's an arbitrary <laughs> hypothetical. So, you know, it's a son. It's so wonderful. And then as we're going, I'm like, oh, yeah. It's, that guy. it's other <laughs> Nick. Right. <laughs> that is amazing. That is that's uh, in- incredibly authentic of you, JJ. <laughs> so, so, Pete, then you also need to start calling your family as a whole the Howling Commandos. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> The Howling Commandos. Oh, okay. <laughs> we did it. I only have to do that for seven more minutes or so. Right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's a limit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, JJ, um, tell everybody where they can tune in to some of the shows that, that you have done. Uh, well, if you go to uh, truestory.fm, you can find all the different things in the catalog from the film board and Trailer Rewind and all the fun things there. And we're always looking to create new and fun content from the movie world. And there's going to be new things to come. Lots of exciting things on the horizon. So exciting. Keep tuning in. Truestory.fm. Well, thanks so much, JJ. Um, we'll have you back not tomorrow, but the day after. So we'll have a chance to chat some more about this. So we certainly appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. And Pete, thanks as always. Dumb Dumb Right, signing off for the Howling Commandos. (laughs) Until next time, true believers.
Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.